You know, the DSM, our diagnostic book that we use for diagnoses, has nine traits, basically. And, you know, some of them are what are misunderstood out there, like the grandiosity and the boastful, braggy, you know, that that's there oftentimes in narcissists. But the things that I'm particularly worried about um, are the traits like lack of empathy, um, the inability to emotionally tune in to the feelings of another person, um, exploiting other people to further one's own uh, gain or, you know, what what they're doing, um, the jealousy, which becomes a very strange dynamic in um, parenting from a narcissist. Um, so I look at those dynamics as uh, more at what hurts people, you know, what hurts people in relationship, whether it's in parenting or in love relationships or in fr even friend relationships. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. This episode number 135, we have author Carol McBride as guest today, and I'm really honored to have her and grateful to my friend Sally, a faithful listener of the podcast who suggested her many months ago. Sometimes it takes a while to get guests. Sometimes it takes even longer for their turn to come up in the queue. I will have recorded an episode and it will sometimes be months before it's able to come out. So because I have others in wait. So very honored to have Carol. She has written much. She works in the field of mental health, but she talks a lot about daughters often who grow up with narcissist mothers and then people who are in relationships with narcissists. I love the distinction that she makes about narcissism and then frankly, just regular emotional abuse from any person who may or may not be a narcissist. She's a terrific guest. I hope you enjoy her. We are coming up soon on October, which is a fun month because it's so beautiful. Love the color change in fall. And also it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month and Breast Cancer, all of those things. I will be giving a talk in East Tennessee at the Chattery, which will be a fundraiser for one of the nonprofits that serves victims of domestic abuse who may find themselves homeless, as I had many years ago, leaving abuse. So if you're in East Tennessee, feel free to join me for that. And it will be, well, look at the chattery.org. Uh, and find the date and sign up. It's very cheap. And like I said, part of it is a fundraiser for the nonprofit. But if you are living anywhere else and you want to get involved with domestic abuse and help people who are directly impacted, by all means, find your local nonprofit. 
either donate money, your volunteer hours, or maybe even your belongings if they're accepting donations and you have something to donate. It's a worthwhile effort and it is a problem that quite frankly involves all of us to come up with solutions. So thanks for being here this week. Next week we will have Dana Diaz and so that will be next week. But for now, happy to have Carol McBride. Thanks for being here. As ever, join me at lameredith.com and anytime you share an episode or enjoy it and tell a friend, that helps so very much. Appreciate all of you and thanks for being here today. Have a great week. Carol McBride, thank you for being here today on Persistence You with Lisbeth. I'm so honored to have you. A listener and friend of mine, Sally, was the one who said you have got to, got to get in touch with Carol McBride. Her work is amazing. So when I looked into it, I saw that you've written a few books now and you really do specialize in working with those of us affected by narcissists in our lives. At some point, particularly daughters of narcissists, but you've expanded. So great to have you. And can you tell us a little bit about how you got in to this work? Yes, I'm uh, trained as a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, so I've been in the mental health field for 40 plus years now. Excellent. Um, and have been my primary platform really has been children, um, being an advocate for children. So I did a lot of work in my career with abused children and uh, children from, you know, adoptive situations and foster care and victims of crime and, and lots of uh, marital and family work. Um, but I was also um, in the early 2000s, I would say, uh, really beginning my own recovery from coming from um, both an alcoholic and I think a narcissistic family. And I don't, while I don't talk a lot about that personally, it it caused me to start really looking for, you know, what's out there. Um in the in the literature and i i definitely found this this huge void in the early 2000s around uh narcissism you know that lay people could relate to other than the old sigmund freud stuff you know right uh, right because we know it as an old diagnosis but only recently people are using it and sometimes misusing it Yes, definitely. So when you talk about narcissism, can you define a layman's term for, for narcissism in general? Yeah. You know, the DSM, our diagnostic book that we use for diagnoses, has nine traits, basically. And, you know, some of them are what are misunderstood out there, like the grandiosity and the boastful, braggy, you know, that that's there oftentimes in narcissists. but the things that I'm particularly worried about um, are the traits like lack of empathy, um, the inability to emotionally tune in to the feelings of another person, um, exploiting other people to further one's own uh, gain or 
you know, what, what they're doing. Um, the jealousy, which becomes a very strange dynamic in um, parenting from a narcissist. Um, so I look at those dynamics as uh, more at what hurts people, you know, what hurts people in relationship, whether it's in parenting or in love relationships or in fr even friend relationships. You know, the DSM, our diagnostic book that we use for diagnoses, has nine traits, basically. And, you know, some of them are what are misunderstood out there, like the grandiosity and the boastful, braggy, you know, that that's there oftentimes in narcissists. But the things that I'm particularly worried about um, are the traits like lack of empathy, um, the inability to emotionally tune in to the feelings of another person, um, exploiting other people to further one's own uh, gain or, you know, what, what they're doing. Um, the jealousy, which becomes a very strange dynamic in um, parenting from a narcissist. Um, so I look at those dynamics as uh, more at what hurts people, you know, what hurts people in relationship, whether it's in parenting or in love relationships or in fr even friend relationships, you know. Um, I don't particularly care about if someone is braggy or boastful or all about them because that really doesn't hurt anyone. It's I mean, just obnoxious. Yeah, it's annoying. <laughs> you know, you may want to just stay away from those people, granted, but, right. you know, I worry about what hurts people. And, I like that. And what, what causes the trauma? You know, if you're around someone braggy, that's not really going to cause a lot of trauma. Um, so that's where I do think it gets thrown around a lot. It gets misunderstood. But honestly, when I started writing, uh, will I ever be good enough? My first book, um, people didn't understand, even know what the term meant. I mean, people would say you're writing about what, <laughs> um, and I would have to explain. And so over this, you know, past period of time now, there's been more and more, of course, written about it. Um, and I started out probably because of my own recovery, but I started out really, I had to start somewhere, right, Lizbeth? So um, I started out with women, like how, if you had a narcissistic mother, how does this affect the development of a, of a woman? Right. And so that's what my first book was about. And then then after that book came out and struck a nerve, really, it went all over the world and to different cultures. And um, I, I began to get a lot of feedback from people who were in love relationships with narcissists or married to a narcissist. And so my second book then became about what do you do if you have that situation? And, and if you're going through a divorce, it's going to be a high conflict, litigious mess with custody messes and all kinds of horrible things. 
And so that's what the the second book evolved into. It's a sort of an evolving process, if you will. And then when I got to my third book, which just came out, um, I wanted, because my background is really in marriage and family, I wanted to study the, the dynamics like of the what I call the narcissistic family. And when I say narcissistic family, I mean a family led by a narcissist, right? Which is, is similar to like the alcoholic family led by an alcoholic, right? So that's what that's what led me into Will the Drama Ever End? And this book is uh, more about the dynamics of the family and how it affects everybody, um, you know, and the different roles that people take on in these families and how that plays out. And then the third part of the book is just completely devoted to what do we do about it? <laughs> because people come out of these families with a lot of trauma and they don't necessarily understand where it came from. You know, there aren't any broken bones, usually. Sometimes there are, of course. Sometimes there's physical abuse. Sometimes there's sexual abuse. But the, the psychological and emotional abuse from being raised by a narcissist is kind of insidious. You know, you, you kind of can't put your finger on it. You know, and it comes out in things like um, not feeling good enough, never measuring up, um, being uh, filled with self-doubt because your feelings weren't acknowledged and validated, um, and not having a solid sense of self because you're not really encouraged in the narcissistic family to have a sense of self. You're encouraged to conscript to the mold of this image of the perfect family, right? And um, so there's just there's complex PTSD. There's just all kinds of effects that people come to therapy for, but they don't really understand where they came from. So it's important to stop and take a look and kind of do an autopsy, if you will, of that relationship and, and uh, kind of how you got there. That requires a lot of objectivity, which is difficult, especially if you're talking about a child and parent yes. to be able to say, oh, you know, this, this is really toxic uh, yeah. because that seems like, especially coming from women, like such a taboo thing to say about one's own parent. Exactly. Right. And we misunderstand it. Of course, when we're children, our, our parents are our gods, you know, they, they know everything and we're dependent upon them. And so oftentimes people don't, they can feel that they're not being tuned into it. it people describe, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. You know, I had right. a roof over my head. I had clothes to wear. I had food to eat. You know, it, it, they can't put their finger on it. Um, but once they begin to understand it and put the pieces together, then it's just like this light goes off. Um, and that's where people can really begin to not only understand 
but realize what they have to do to heal. And, you know, if, if I just put it in a nutshell, it, if anybody out there who is a parent um, or can think about the parent dynamic with a child, right? There's, there's a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. The parents are up here and the children are down here, not in an authoritarian manner. But we're here to teach and guide and nurture and protect and love and comfort and soothe. Um, that's our job, right, as a parent. And in the narcissistic family, the parental needs take precedence over the children's needs. So it's reversed. So, so the child, child is taking care of their parent and reading their mood and trying to make it up to them yes. if the parents are feeling good. Yes. yes. And all the while internalizing, because obviously we can't do that. We can't even do that as adults, right? Right. So then we internalize that I'm not good enough because I can't make my mommy happy. I can't make my daddy happy. Um, and. And also it feeds the the angry bear of codependency. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of clients come into therapy with, you know, well-trained, like they went to boot camp <laughs> for codependency. Right. And when and when I talk about codependency, I mean I mean, the definition of codependency as I will take care of you to the exclusion of taking care of me. And that's what we did as children. That's what a narcissist requires. Right. A lot of times today, uh, when young women or even, you know, women who are not all that young, when they talk about leaving an abusive relationship, they often will say, they call him my narcissist or my narc or whatever. And I feel like there's been a blurring of, you know, the fact that they are not the same thing. Not all narcissists are abusive and, you know, not all um, abusive people are narcissists. So can you speak a little bit to that and how we know the difference? Yes, um, the I think the main things to look for if you're looking at a narcissist is lack of empathy mm-hmm. and the inability to emotionally tune into another's emotional world feelings and not, you know, in that sense, they are all about themselves. Um. So it's true that not everyone who gets divorced, you know, means that one of them has to be a narcissist. Right. Right. Because there are people who who can do empathy, who can tune in, but they just don't like their partner anymore or, you know, (laughs) or they're not being nice. Right. Exactly. They're different. I do, it, it has become a very, we went from back when you started writing about it to being a phrase where nobody knew about it to a phrase now that is used all the time. Yeah. So it's just very interesting uh, to see that evolution, but it's an important topic to discuss. 
I remember saying once to a friend of mine who had a narcissist mother, not unlike myself, uh, you know, in my family, uh, but you learn at some point that if nothing you do is ever enough, there's a certain freedom in that. You can stop trying, <laughs> you know, yes. you must stop trying. Yeah. Are there, what do you, do you have like a, a few tips for people who are wondering if either their partner or a family member, someone they're close to is a narcissist, you know, is there some way that kind of helps them put on the glasses to know a little bit more? Yeah, I think I think a good thing just to put out there is there are surveys on my book website. Excellent. Um, that will say, do you have a narcissistic parent? And then there's a checklist or um, are you married to a narcissist or in a love relationship with a narcissist? And, you know, it will the things on the checklist are all to do with has is that person tuning into you? Right. You know, or do they always have to be right? Um, are they, can they be accountable for their own behavior? Do they act jealous of you? Do they want you to succeed? Do they want you to have a life also? Or okay. does everything have to revolve around them? Um, and they're, 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 you know, probably too many to get into here, but it's, if you go to my book website, you can look at those surveys and that that sometimes can help people sort it out a little bit. I like that. That's it's just very important to realize because so like you said, sometimes we might not feel right, but we don't know what the words are. Mm -hmm. I know when I was young and and married, the one and only time that I ever did. One telling quality I should have realized was my former husband said to me after treating me horrifyingly, you know, I could see the relationship that you had in your family and with your mother, and I thought you'd put up with it. So perhaps sometimes it's wow. important. Yes, there you are. Sometimes it's important to look at our families of origin and get... We have that sneaking suspicion, get more information before we dive right in to someone that feels like home. Because sometimes if your home life wasn't that great and that person feels very familiar, you kind of want to go, you naturally gravitate toward them. That's not always a good sign I learned from horrible experience. No, but it's an excellent point that you're making um, in that Oh, there's a lot of research now that shows that we're attracted to unconsciously to the familiar um, until we do our own recovery. Um, so that when we're used to that and that's normal to us, we the red flags will be there, but they'll be like, yeah, well, I've seen that before. Right. You know, and and once people really do recovery and start taking good care of themselves, the red flags stop them, whereas before they don't stop them. That's such a great point. That is such a great point. You don't see the red flags as red flags if that is familiar to you. Yeah. It, it feels almost like your safety net. This is what I'm used to. I will go toward it. And so that's why I love the title of your new book so much. Can you say it again? The new book is Will the Drama Ever End? And the subtitle is Untangling and Healing 
from the harmful effects of parental narcissism. Beautiful. That is so very helpful. Part of what you said about, you know, taking that moment to kind of embrace recovery and and have a moment of healing and disentangling, good intentions just aren't enough. We could come from a home that we leave as young people and say, oh my goodness, my life is going to be different. I am so glad to get out of that. That was so dysfunctional. That's not enough. <laughs> you know, That isn't on its own enough. We do need that extra information and support to be intentional about our choices for a better life. And I feel like you've gone a long way in helping people have options to know uh, more about narcissism and how it impacts us. Do you feel, what do you feel about, how do you feel about people who realize that their parent may be a narcissist, but they're not willing to hear it or make any changes? Then what? Well, denial is such a huge part of the dynamic of the narcissistic family. So it's not surprising. Like a lot of times you'll see one person in the family doing recovery, but the siblings not. Or the siblings angry that, you know, this other other brother or sister is working on recovery and looking at the dynamics. That's very common. I like that. So especially as the parent ages and gets closer and closer to maybe an end of life experience, there may be a very healthy individual in the family who says, I'm still not opting in. Mm -hmm. And then that creates an angry dynamic with the surviving siblings. It can um, yes. you feel like how could you do that? And and I know for me personally, I feel like as a woman, it's almost like telling someone I'm a sociopath when I say I have opted to have no relationship with this person. Mm-hmm. Um, the the responses are so dramatic, but sometimes that's what we need to do to be yeah. healthy. There are there are toxic enough situations to people's mental health that they have to make those decisions of what we call no contact. But I do I do want, and I always say this, I do want to throw a warning out there because oftentimes people make that decision too quick because once people have worked the five-step recovery model that is in my book and really processed their trauma and worked on themselves, a lot of times they they can choose a different kind of connection. Now it it's not going to be the connection they wanted, you know, with a close, emotional, loving, supportive. Um, I call it civil connect. Um, but you go in with your eyes open. You know what you're doing. You can still keep attachments to family. Um, but it's different. And and you're setting boundaries, you're taking good care of yourself. So it's different. So I always encourage people to do, do that trauma work first before you make that decision to for sure, you know, I'm having no contact. But there right. are definitely situations where people can't, it's too toxic and they have to do something right away. I like that you have that on a continuum and that there is hope. You know, and and people can decide with the more information that they have how to proceed. Right. And that doesn't always mean no contact, but it means a different kind of contact on their own terms. On their own terms. Yes. I like that. That sounds fantastic. 
But where can people get to your books and get to know more about those surveys? Because I think a lot of listeners are going to want to quietly think, ah, this sounds familiar. How can I, (laughs) I want to see, (laughs) I want to see if I, if I am really impacted by a narcissist. And I think that's fair. How can they know about your quizzes and such? Yes, I think the best place to go is to uh, my book website, which is willieverbegoodenough.com. Perfect. That will tell you about all three of the books. It'll have the surveys. Uh, it will have a therapist registry. It ha- it'll have a lot of information for people. It's such a great title because that is exactly the feeling that one is left with mm-hmm. when they're dealing with a narcissistic parent is, will I ever you know, be good enough, feel good enough, all of that. So great title. I love your work and thanks for the difference you're making. So the newest book is available now on many different formats, including audiobook for uh, audiobook version, which is so popular now. So terrific. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it, Carol. And again, Carol McBride, uh, and I love Will the Drama Ever End? And the answer can be, it can, it really can. (laughs) Thanks to your good work. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.